Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. And when we just start giving with expecting nothing in return, that's when great things happen because we start surrounding ourselves with people that do the same thing. It's time for the Limitless Leadership Lounge in partnership with Heroes for All. Do you want to be a leader? In a constantly changing world, our emerging leaders look different, come from various backgrounds and from all different age groups. Leadership is changing and it's hard to keep up. But the good news, you can be a leader too. You can be an emerging leader. Welcome to the Limitless Leadership Lounge, a tri-generational conversation for emerging leaders. Come spend some time with us to discuss leadership from three angles. The coach, Jim Johnson. The professor, Dr. Anuma Kareem. The host, John Gehring, a monthly guest. And you. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker. So come on in and make yourself comfortable. It's where we bring on some of the best leaders in the world. You have the Limitless Leadership Lounge on. Thanks for choosing us as your podcast of choice for today, whatever you're up to. Be sure if you're enjoying our content to leave us a review up on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today up on Audible. That's where we have a lot of reviews as well. Um, if you're listening to Spotify, really any of your favorite podcast platforms, that's where you can check us out. And today we have a special guest on. I'm John Gehring. I'm Dr. Kareem, as always, and Coach are on uh, with me. So we're looking forward to bringing on yet another big time leader here um, who's going to share some wisdom and apparently some marriage advice too. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. Uh, Coach, why don't you introduce our guest today? I'm really excited. Uh, Tim Dumas and I've uh, started to really build a nice relationship. Tim's uh, from Vancouver. So we're in uh, different parts of the world here right now. We're, we're in the East coast in Rochester and he's on the West coast in Canada. And, uh, I actually heard Tim on a, a podcast that I was on that I listened to, uh, and it was, he was so dynamic and so inspirational. I said, you know what, I got to connect with this guy. And, and uh, I got to say, Tim is uh, uh, married and has uh, six children, so he's a lot of things going. And he uh, also, he's, he's just a really great person. He, he uh, is a great connector. He's uh, always expresses gratitude. I'm just so impressed with Tim as a person, number one. And then he has a little bit of a unique uh, situation from a business perspective in the fact that he is a Jack, John Maxwell certified coach. He uh, does uh, half of his work as leadership and teamwork and uh, consulting with various businesses. And his other half is his uncle uh, started a liquor uh, chain of stores called Jack's. And Tim is actually the, the chief operating officer. I actually had the pleasure to speak to the managers of Jack uh, Jack's a while ago, virtually. And uh, Tim and I have really developed a really nice friendship. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having Tim on our program. So welcome, Tim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for all the nice words. That was uh, outstanding. I'm super excited to, uh, and to be with you today. Great. Thank you. Well, I'll start with the first question. And because you, you do have a little bit of a unique business model, although we do see, you know, we've seen a lot of people make, uh, you know, different transitions from careers, but yours is unique in the sense that you actually have, you know, a pretty big job being a chief operating officer, but also you, you know, people sometimes call that the side hustle, but basically about half of your business is you do consulting. So can you share a little bit of your journey there 
And as you know, our focus is to try to help young and emerging leaders. So anything you can help in stimulating people on, you know, where they could actually maybe do something like you down the road. So Jim, and, and it really, it started with, uh, with my dream. And ironically enough, it started just a few miles down the highway from you in Erie, Pennsylvania, at a little school called Mercier's College, where I, I went to school um, and, and was playing football. And there I met one of the, the greatest leaders, our head coach that I had ever met at the time. And, and it's one of the first practices of the season. We're in training camp. His, his name's Joe Kimball, and we're walking off the field. And as we're walking off the field, there's two little kids run up to him. And they're about six and eight years old at the time. And we're heading into a, a post-practice meeting. So he didn't have a lot of time, and he kept walking off the field with me. He looked me in the eye and said, Tim, I love coaching young men, and it's my calling in life, and it's my passion. He said, but during the season, it's really hard because – I leave home before my kids wake up and I get home after they've gone to bed. So I don't see them a lot. So they come see me at practice. And I'd always thought, you know what I'd take, I loved football. I loved athletics. I loved uh, competition. And my goal was always to take that as far as I could. And on the day I couldn't play anymore. I'd, I'd become a coach. And that was my dream. But my dream kind of died that day because my other dream was to, was to have a family one day and, and I wasn't sure I, was, I, I wanted to or was willing to do that trade-off. So, you know, fast forward to, you know, five years later when my career is done, uh, I decided not to become a, a coach and, and I went into business. And basically for the next decade and a half, that dream of coaching was sort of died. You know, I coached, you know, I helped coach the local high school team. I coached my kids in, in little tyke soccer, but my dream died until about seven years ago, about seven and a half years ago, when I joined Jack's Beer, Wine and Spirits, our, our family business, and we brought in an executive coach. And at that time, I didn't know what an executive coach was. You know, I'd been brought up in kind of the school of hard knocks in business where you, when you go into business, you put your head down, you work as hard as you can. And if that's 15 hours a day, you do it and you don't come up for air until you're, uh, until you're ready, right? And so I was just working harder, but I wasn't necessarily working smarter in, in my first decade and a half as a leader. And when I met this executive coach, my eyes were open. I didn't know this thing actually existed where you have someone from the outside who comes in and basically asks you the questions to help you bring your version of success, in this case for your company, out of yourself. As we started working with him over the next year, year and a half into two years, I sat down with him one day. His name's Dean. I said, Dean, I love what you're doing for us. And I'm taking as much as I can to our people, to our retail store managers, to our middle managers, to our executive team. But we need you with the, the, all those people. But I don't think you have enough time and I don't think we have enough money to pay you to be with all our people. And he said, Tim, you're already doing it. You just got to be better at it. And that's the day that that decade and a half dead dream rekindled. And he said, Tim, you want to build a coaching culture in your company, go do it. So seriously, like two months later, I'm on a flight to Orlando, Florida to meet John Maxwell and get certified by him. And then I take the online courses afterwards to become a certified John Maxwell coach. We start bringing in a coaching culture into our company. And as I'm talking to you, just like I talked to other people telling them what happened, what, what had happened with our company and the transformations that we were having, they said, Tim, can you do that with us? And that's where my dream started to flourish, where I started doing a consulting project with one company, a coaching project with someone else, a strategic planning project to where we are today, where I have a you know coaching and strategic planning company. And, and I also run uh, Jack Spare Wine and Spirits. And that's the story about how a dead dream was rekindled and now alive. This is uh, so interesting, uh, Tim, uh, because you talked about sometimes leaders while we are starting something, the dream slowly fades away. And the question is, do we stick to it even though our dream and passion is not there or I choose a different path? And for you, you chose, you had the courage to choose a different path and go for it. So definitely, I think there, this, uh, there is such a huge leadership lesson here on if the dream dies, do I stick with it or just go on? What is your take? Like oh, many leaders are experiencing this in their uh, position now. So what would be your advice from your experience? 
I think that's really where the executive coaching comes in, right? And if I had that executive coach or that one-on-one coach at that time, he or she would have helped me work through that, say, okay, what are you really called to be in life? What is your passion? And what is that superpower that you hold for the world? Everybody has one. We just got to find it inside of us. Mm-hmm. And I had that just like all of you and everybody does. That just kind of died inside me because I didn't know how to act upon that. I still had that passion. I still had that dream, but I didn't know how to take the dream to action because I originally thought the action was going to be on the field. In some cases for me, it still is with my kids. I coach mm. my kids in high school football. Now uh, I coach, um, you know, little kids soccer, but um, really where it was expected or supposed to be manifested was what I call in the boardroom with, with, with business executives. Mm. So that's the key to that is if a dream is, is dying is figuring out, is that actually my passion that's changing or is that actually, I haven't figured out how to act upon that. And, mm-hmm. and one great way of doing that is through mentors or coaches. Right. Mastering in whatever I'm doing. So even the ordinary task, if we do it well, it can become better and we can make some difference. And along that line, from your experience, I was wondering to ask you, what does it mean for you to lead? What does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny you mention that because when I got my first leadership job, I was in my early 20s, only a couple of years out of college. And and I walked in to this boardroom to, to lead these people who I was called to lead. And I was ready to dazzle them with like the best Vince Lombardi fire them up speech (laughs) I'd ever given. And so I'm prepping this, I'm driving in, I'm ready to go. And you know what, you know, the speech was actually pretty decent, but as I sat there, I spoke to them. All I saw coming back to me was a blank stare Mm. and all I could see in their eyes was why I was firing them up but I hadn't built any trust with them. I hadn't built any rapport. I didn't actually understand what leadership was. So the one great thing was I kind of knew at that time what I didn't know. And I knew I didn't know much. So (laughs) I started reading books. I started, you know, that was before podcasts were a thing, but I started trying to educate myself. And the one thing I realized was I didn't know what the definition of leadership was. So as a great child of the eighties, I went to the dictionary and do you know in the Merriam Webster dictionary, what the definition of leadership was is it's the act of being a leader or the position of leadership, which doesn't make any sense because if on my third grade spelling test, I define leadership by the root of the word, I would have failed. So how Merriam Webster can do that. I have (laughs) no idea, but what I realized is we really don't know. The one thing I did know is the position of being a leader has nothing to do with leadership. Because we all know people in companies, countries, et cetera, that are in a position of leadership that aren't great leaders. There are also many that are great leaders. So there's no uh, correlation between the position you hold and the leader that you are. So I went through all of these gurus trying to find a great definition of leadership. Do you know it took me nearly two decades because I really didn't find that amazing um, definition until just about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now, I met a guy uh, named Alex Havard, and he wrote a book called Virtuous Leadership. Mm-hmm. And in Virtuous Leadership, he defines this word magnanimity. And mm-hmm. if you're having trouble saying it or hearing it, if you've never heard that word before, that's okay. Because for the first like six months with him, I kept saying, Alex, it's magna what? <laughs> magnanimity. He defines magnanimity as this the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. And if I were to define leadership, find the greatest definition for leadership is that magnanimity striving for the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. Mm. Why? Because really leadership doesn't matter much unless you're able to share that with others. And unless that's able to permeate and grow, you also cannot do that unless you're first doing it with yourself. Mm. So you need to first lead yourself to lead others. And that's what's the greatest definition I have ever heard. Hey, Tim, I got to jump in. I know uh, John will have the next question, but I, you, with, uh, you said, you know, when you first started as a young leader and you came in with, you know, this great motivational speech and found out that that, that wasn't the answer. Well, I am curious though, with all now your experience and helping young leaders, what advice would you give that young leader coming into a new position 
And how would you how would you start differently or share what would be you would do differently or recommend they do differently and getting off to a better start? Uh, it's it's giving time as parents. What's the greatest thing that we can give our children is time as with our spouse. What's the greatest thing we can give? It's time. If I had to do that over over again and when I do do that with new people, I give time and really time. Uh, that has not really any um, any rhyme or reason to, to what we're doing. No, necessarily no agenda, just sitting with them, having coffee, having breakfast, lunch, and just listening, getting to know each other. There's a few you know, kind of go-to questions I might have, but do you know the, the, the difference that time makes for people when you're willing to give them time? In my, in my role at Jack's, I try to have a, a coffee, you know, with all of our different leaders Every, you know, every three, four, five months, you know, two, three times a year. And, you know, that might not sound like a lot, but when we have, you know, uh, just over a dozen uh, locations, when we have multiple leaders in each location, we're talking about a few dozen people. So I intentionally try to schedule something with them. And just a few weeks ago, I scheduled something with, um, with a woman who leads one of our stores. And it's about a 90 minute drive from my house. And she said, Tim, what are you doing in this area of town today? And I said, well, I'm in this area of town to meet with you. She said, so you're telling me you drove 90 minutes here. You're going to drive 90 minutes home. And there was nothing else you had to do here. I know I said, no, my, my afternoon task is to come spend an hour with you. And um, really irregardless of, of what we talked about, then the feedback I get back is I'm just happy that you gave me time. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the number one feedback I always have. So that time and one-on-one and, Conversely, the number one complaint I ever have either of myself as a leader or our other people I lead when, when there's a complaint or an issue, it generally has to do with time and or communication and communication, it stems from time, right? They say, well, this, this leader doesn't have time for me here. She's too busy. But when we sit down together, build rapport with each other, we build trust. And that's the basis of them. We can actually build what we're trying to do together. Right. And uh, interesting, I will just jump in to make a, uh, make a point. Like nowadays, I think social media is also helping in a, some way to build that trust. Because when I am invited to give talks in different places, they uh, observe my social media feed, my LinkedIn feed and all those things. And even um, when I am, I'm also responding to different other leaders in the social media liking or giving comments and that builds a trust like this person knows about these stuff and when I go to talk few of the things that you mentioned that relating uh, know the person like just an icebreaker session of learning some interesting things about everybody in the room that can make you more relatable before you start bombarding them with all the information I think that really worked well for me so do you think that this strategy works in a way <laughs> I, 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 absolutely. Um, there, there's, there's a really, and um, uh, Coach, Coach Jim, you, you might know this, there's a really cool commercial that you can find online um, uh, by Heineken. I don't know if you've seen it, it's five minutes long. I think it was just online. And it was, um, it, it's about um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. I know Coach Jim, you, you have a talk on this. And what they did was they took two people with um, uh Com two completely differing views on a very polarizing topic. Mm -hmm. And they sat them down. Have you any, either, any of you seen this? I have not. So I, after the podcast, out. Google, I, you know, Heineken diversity commercial, it's, it's outstanding. So they get these two people together and they just get them talking. They don't ask about the issue. They just get them talking. And then they give them a task. And basically it's for lack of a better term, they're building big Lego. They're building like, like a table and chairs and, and kind of building an Ikea, Ikea set. So they work together on this. They talk about each other, you know, interests and family, et cetera, et cetera. And they get to know each other and they build rapport. Mm -hmm. And after they're done that, they bring them back together and they uh, show like a 10, 15 second clip of asking them this question about this polarizing topic, which generally in society, people will like bash and hate each other about, right? Um, we see that in, in politics all the time. And they said, and then they give them each give them a Heineken beer. And they said, would you like to stay and hang out with this person? Or do you never want to see this person again? And in every situation, they said, this person's a good person. They have good values. They're, they're great. We just happen to differ on a polarizing topic. 
we'll sit here and discuss it. And what's really cool about that is it shows what you can do when you spend time, when you build rapport, when you build trust, because no matter how different we are, we have great um, similarities and generally shared values. I actually think many, if not most people in the world share values. We just might act those values out in different ways. Mm. We're talking with uh, Tim, who is actually an incredible uh, speaker, as we're finding out, also the COO at Jax and also a uh, Maxwell certified coach. So Tim, it's great to have you on today. Uh, my question is actually related to something that you've already touched on, um, talking about spending time, that whole concept. But in this era of the great resignation, where everybody's trying to pivot, everybody's trying to move around as fast as they can, because apparently that's the way to, to elevate. Um, you know a thing or two about pivoting, given your your past. Now, when it comes to your managers at Jax, um, what kinds of ways do you encourage them to improve themselves while still staying in your company? Uh, because obviously retention rate is very important. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's two great questions. And, and, you know, we talked about building the rapport with people and, and there's two great words and great questions that I normally ask. And number one is, is what are you grateful for? So when I sit down with somebody and have a coffee with them, I ask them what they're grateful for. Do you know, do you know, the amazing things you find out about someone when you ask them what they're grateful for. They'll say, you know, my cat, my dog, my kids, uh, playing slow pitch softball, uh, the food they like to eat. And when we ask that over and over again, um, there's a lot of rapport built in that small question. The second question, a bit of a bigger question, and we might need to build some rapport first to get there. And this will get to your, your point of how do you uh, overcome the great resignation and make it into the great re-engagement is ask them about their dream. Because I don't know about you, but as I grew up, you know, through high school, people ask, where are you going to go to college? What's your dream? What are you going to be when you grow up? And sometime around that age of 18, the sentiment among your, uh, not only your peers, but the people you look up to, your parents, other people's parents, that, that kind of next generation says, when are you going to get a job? When are you going to sell it down? When are you going to you know, buy a house? When are you going to do this? And it's no longer about dreams. It's now about this is what you got to do when you grow up. You got to do that. You got to do this, right? And that's when dreams start to die because we start thinking, oh boy, maybe I should just do something or do anything. And, and in some cases, you know, doing something is better than doing nothing. But turning away from your passion and your dream is, is normally not valuable. So when I, I talk to people and when our managers talk to people, we talk, ask them about their dreams. What's your biggest personal dream? What's your biggest adventure dream? What are your material dreams, your family dreams, your legacy dreams, your creative dreams, uh, your professional dreams? And when I caveat that question, I say, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you achieve in these categories? And this isn't the first time that we sit down and have a coffee. We get into these deep topics, but we start kind of putting out some seeds about tell me about some of your dreams. And you know what a lot of people say? Actually, a shockingly too many people say they're like, Tim. I don't remember the last time someone asked me about my dream. And especially in the workplace, because the number one reason people leave um, a job is their leader. Mm -hmm. And followed closely is on, on why they left that leader is that person didn't care about my well-being or didn't support my well-being. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know the first way we can support people's well-beings is ask them about how we can support them about their well-being, which is basically their dream. So some people's dream is to get in better shape, to run a marathon, to buy a house, to, uh, to, uh, to find a significant other, to, you know, what, uh, to buy a car, to go on a crazy vacation, whatever that is. Guess what happens when we do that? We start to build rapport. People start to realize that we care about their well-being. Right. And that's why we retain people. The stats say that for somebody to leave a company, um, that they think cares about their well-being, they're well-led and they love the company, they'd have to be paid more than 20% more. I had one of our employees come up to us uh, just a few months ago, came up to me and said, Tim, I was offered another job and it was about 10% more, but I just couldn't bring myself to leaving because I really don't know if that company is going to support me to achieve my personal and professional dreams like mm -hmm. you do. Time after time after time, when I asked people this, they said, I've never heard 
a person in a professional setting asks me about how they can support me in my personal dreams. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. Hey, it's pretty Tim, fundamental. Uh, yeah. very, very powerful. I, uh, I'm curious, you know, are you talking about, you know, your own personal dream and you have a lot on your plate, obviously, in the fact that, uh, you know, all the different work you do, you know, you have a big family, uh, how do you lead yourself? Do you have any, uh, because, it, you know, as people get more and more involved in their life, uh, you know, they tend to, I, I witness that they tend to let things go and they end up not leading themselves very well. Can you share some of the things you do and maybe any advice uh, to people and helping them lead themselves? Because, you know, John and I talk about this all the time in Renuma. If you can't lead yourself, it's hard to lead others. So, so certainly the, uh, the most difficult person to lead is always in every situation yourself. <laughs> so I struggle with it just like anyone else. But a few key factors is number one, having a coach. And, you know, I meet with my, you call executive coach, personal coach regularly. And we're going through each of my key success factors, each of my quarterly rocks that I'm working towards to become a better person. Um, but not only personally, professionally, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so I think when we have that person and, and, you know, I'm, I might be biased because I'm an executive coach, but everybody needs that person that can help, help them dream, mm-hmm. help, you know, coach them through things and help hold them accountable because there's, there's different times you need to be held accountable to different things. So number one, it's certainly that, and then being self-aware of what your priorities are and how to schedule around that. So one of my greatest coaching sessions that I had with my coach was on my priorities. And he said, this is great, Tim, tell me about your priorities this quarter. I said, you know what? I focused a bit professionally on some professional goals and dreams last quarter. Let's focus on some personal ones. They said, great. What would that be? He said, you know what? I said, I want to be a better husband and father this, this quarter. He said, great. How are you going to do that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I guess like be around more. He's like, no, we need something really, really specific. So we came up with a specific thing where I would make sure that I would tick off each member of my family with six kids. There's seven people, other people in our household. I would tick off making sure I spent some quality one-on-one time with each of them every quarter. And that would lead me, help to lead me to where I was better as a husband and a father. The second thing was, he said, Tim, pull up your calendar for me. I pulled up my Google calendar. Sometimes when I do that, it gives people a brain aneurysm because there's different colors and things all over the place, right? And he said, great. Can you tell me where your family time and your, your, your uh, time with your spouse, uh, your wife and time with your kids are? And I said, well, I, I fit that around my work meeting. You know, sometimes my work meetings go to six, seven, five. Sometimes they start at 5 a.m. Sometimes they start at 9 a.m. And if I don't have anything else, I give that to my kids and family. He said, that's great. He said, what's your number one priority? And I said, well, my number one, number two priorities are my faith and my family. He said, great. Show me where that is in your calendar. And at that time, I was sheepish to say I didn't put those things in my calendar. So the one key thing I did was I flipped my calendar around to put those things in first. And yes, there are certain times you have to be at work and you have to do work meetings, but I would first understand where do I have that can fit in these things that are most important to me. And, you know, in my experience dealing with all kinds of other people, executives that I'm coaching, most people struggle with that work goes into my calendar first and everything else gets fit around that. So we give the most important people in our lives our crumbs. And that's where the difference can be made when we start giving the most important things in our lives the top priorities, and then we fit in work around that. I'm certainly not saying we're not going to do work. We're still going to work hard and we're going to put in the time, but, um, but we're also going to understand our priorities. Yeah. I wonder, Tim, if that also um, goes back to what you said earlier about the, the feeling of responsibility. I mean, people don't as much chase their passions, but more feel responsible or like they have to follow a certain path. Um, is that also something where we, we almost feel like we don't have the right to put those kinds of things in our calendar until we've earned them through excessively hard work. Yeah, I, I think certainly in our culture, that's a, that's a, that's a, a sentiment that, uh, that permeates, right? However, there's, there's no, number one, there's, you know, hard, there's hard work and smart work. And, and certainly you have to put in the time, uh, coach Jim, you know, as a coach that you got to put in the time shooting free throws to become a good free throw shooter. And there's nothing that, um, that takes away from that time. So number one, yes, you still 
got to put in the time. But also there's, there's, there's a part of working smart and of working those things into your lives. And the greatest leaders have the ability to have those habits where they can be highly successful in, in each version of their life. But also we have to understand that anytime we say yes to something, we're going to say no to something else, right? So when I say yes to uh, staying late at work, I'm saying no to my family. And sometimes you have to do that. That's part of the job, right? But I have to understand all those times I said no to my wife because I stayed late at work, right? And then uh, conversely, when we look at our calendar, you know, the 24 hours in the day, we can actually make it work uh, because when I actually looked at my day and I think I'm a pretty um, honed in person, I still have so much time in the day that I waste, right? So if every day I can waste five minutes less, imagine what I can accomplish over the year. uh, Tim, I just want to augment one thing you said, because it's so true. uh, And one of the things when I teach people, like I, I've written blogs about um, what I call my daily non-negotiables and, and things that I will do consistently. And some of the things you talk about, like I pray every day. Okay. That's my faith thing. Another thing I do is I meditate. Another thing I do is exercise. And and the interesting part is that, you know, I'm not as busy as I once was. I, I'd be the first to admit that, you know, when I was teaching, coaching, speaking at the time, my son was still living with us and, you know, my wife, and, but at the same time, it's always been staggering to me when I see people that I haven't seen in a while and they've gained 30 pounds. And I'm like, holy miracle. In fact, I played a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago in tennis and I, I almost had to give him like a little lecture. I go, you know what? Because he's a lot younger than me and he's gaining a lot of weight. And I said, you know what? If you don't make this a priority and plan it in your day intentionally, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to take a lot of years off your life. And they, those are hard to say, but it's something, you know, you, uh, you're, you are so right. You know, the, the famous Stephen Covey, you know, uh, looking at the big rocks first. So um, I will uh, go to Renuma. Go ahead, Renuma, with your next question. Yeah, uh, Tim, before we get joined the podcast, you are talking about a leadership lesson from marriage. <laughs> so I'm just curious if you could just shed some light on that. <laughs> Sure. So John, I know you just recently got married. So we we're talking about this before, before we got on. So it was, it was probably nearly a decade ago, maybe seven or eight years ago that uh, I got emailed from uh, a person I really know and respect an article. And it was a, by a guy named Seth Adam Smith. And the title of the article is something to the effect of uh, after three months of marriage, I realized it wasn't for me. And I'm like, why are you sending me this article? You know, I, at that time, I think I'd been married for about 10 years and, you know, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. My mind starts spinning. I'm like, okay, I understand it could be hard at the beginning, but you got to give it more of a chance than three months. But I was very intrigued to see what Seth Adam Smith had to say. So he goes on to say, you know, after three months of marriage, I realized it wasn't for me. He said, you know what I realized? He said, we go into marriage and so many of us think that it's a 50-50 proposition. And he said, if we do, we're doomed to fail. He said, if we don't go in, Uh, Giving 100% and expecting 0% in return, it's not going to work. So I realized after three months of marriage, it's not about what I can gain from that. I have to be 100% for what, how I can support that other person and never expect another thing in return. And what happens in return? Hopefully that other person is trying to do the same thing. And that's when the magic happens. And that's not only a marriage lesson, that's a leadership lesson I give in life because what do we normally do when we get into a relationship? We're like, well, I really, I did something for this person the other day. I'm really expecting something coming back soon, right? And, um, you know, it's, it, it's one of those, um, one of those topics from uh, Dr. Ivan Meisner, who founded Business Networking International, BNI, and his big phrase is giver's gain. And when we just start giving with expecting nothing in return, that's when great things happen because we start surrounding ourselves with people that do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I might not have something to give to you for months, days, years, but you know that when the right time comes, when I find the time, I understand that givers gain as well. And I realize our relationship isn't for me. I'm putting hundred percent into it. It's just like in any, uh, any business as well. There's a great principle called the hundred zero principle. The moment I take hundred percent responsibility, make 0% excuses. 
about anything that happens to me is the minute I start to grow because, you know, no matter what your state in life is, um, and, and that's a principle I learned from Dr. John Izzo, who wrote books on it. But no matter what your state in life is, I can give you a million excuses why you should fail. Mm-hmm. A million excuses about other people in your lives, people close to you, could be anybody, about why you should fail because they're not good enough. And you know what? Get used to it. It's true. But when you realize that I'm going to take 100% responsibility for my learning, for my professional development, for my getting towards my dreams and goals, we start working things out, right? We start thinking about what can I do to get there? Okay, I know this person who works beside me is struggling in this. I can only control myself. I'm going to do this and hopefully, and that will help support them as well. So that lesson of marriage isn't for me is really about leadership. Uh, I realize it's not for me. It's like think, unconditional yeah. giving. Uh, uh, so mm-hmm. you don't put conditions uh, to it. And it's interesting when you talked about how marriage is like a leadership, because when I went in Bangladesh, when I started my nonprofit, everybody was asking me, what is in it for you? Why are you doing this? You're leaving your full-time job and everything and risking everything to start a nonprofit. And I, I was just telling, because I want to share what I can give to the society. And majority of the people could not understand, like, what is in it for you? What are you getting? So I couldn't make them understand that it's the pleasure of giving that I that gives me that sense of fulfillment. It's a selfish thing, but I just love to do that. Uh, so in that, uh, around those areas, I, w- I am curious to ask you, like, if uh, I ask you, like, what are the biggest challenges that you faced as a leader managing people? What will they be? There's, there's so many, um, so many challenges with people. And I really think it's that, that hundred zero principle, right? That being hundred percent responsible, making 0% excuses. Mm-hmm. I just had a, a really great conversation with a leader um, uh, only a week ago. And um, this person was struggling with some different things and we have the perpen- misery loves company, right? So we have the propensity when we struggle with things to try to figure out why it was, and we often look outside of outside first. And this person came up with so many excuses about other people around him that were not doing their job as well as they could. And guess what? He was absolutely right. But at the same time, uh, you know, complaining about that does nothing to help the situation. So um, sometimes when I coach people like this, Sometimes they're not super happy at the beginning because I, I say it bluntly. I said, I'm not here to talk about what, uh, what, what they are or aren't doing or how they can be better. I'm, I'm here for you. So how can you become better? And the first answer is often, well, that person could do this and that person could do this. I said, no, no, I'm here to talk about you. How can you positively impact that situation? Because in any interpersonal conflict I've ever seen, I've never seen it be hundred percent one person's fault and zero percent another. So it's always 99, 1, 50-50, 60-40, right? So I said, I don't care if it's 99% the other person's fault. How can you influence your 1%? And that's probably one of the biggest hurdles to get over because often in our society, we have the propensity of saying, okay, what, what can I blame or who can I blame or, or, or rather than looking inside of us. But great organizations and great people are built on people that look internally and, you know, as you're on that plane, putting your oxygen mask on first and making sure that you are doing everything you possibly can. And you know what funny enough happens is other people start to get on board Mm -hmm. when they're around you because they see that. But on the flip side, when you start spiraling downwards and you start blaming other people get on board, like, yeah, that's right. That person should be doing that. And I get into this, this, this uh, issue sometimes just like anyone else, right? Have I lived a day in my life without any blame? No, but hopefully I have the self-awareness to boom. When I get into that blame game, I'm like, shoot, I blame that person. What, what can I do to positively impact the situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so hard, Tim, because it, it's difficult for us in our world. That's so input output oriented, so transactional, so, so focused on the ROI, um, what is, what's your return? You know, that's, you got to justify everything, but when you give 100%, like you're saying, or taking a full responsibility, 
Uh, what are some ways that you in your marriage and in your life, uh, taking it back to that marriage advice and taking it back to you, um, that you make sure that you give, you hold yourself accountable and give 100% and not worry so much about the ROI? Well, I, I think the first thing is, is, is humility and vulnerability and, and being talking to the other person and saying what you're struggling with, right? One of the greatest attributes of leadership, some call it humility, Brene Brown calls it vulnerability, is actually telling others what you're struggling with. And, you know, great leaders of, you know, 75, 80 years ago, there are maybe, I maybe argue if they were so great, because they just said, I know everything, do what I say, I'm in this position, because I've been put in this position for a reason. If you do what I say, you will be great, which is actually a fallacy because everybody else, any person you know for any great deal of time, you realize what their strengths and weaknesses are. And if they're not vulnerable about their weaknesses, you already know. So you just think they're a liar rather than being vulnerable, right? And so one of the greatest attributes you can bring to a relationship with your spouse or a relationship with someone else is telling them, this is what I'm struggling with. Um, so any support that you can see or give um, I, I'd love to have, I'd love to have it because then you're starting to surround yourself with people that complement your weaknesses and people that will help you with your weaknesses and people that will see that say, Hey, Tim, I know it's your struggle. This is what you struggle with. Here's how I can help her. I'm going to help hold you accountable to that. Cause we all need somebody to hold us, help hold us accountable. So as it relates to those relationships, how can we build up those relationships and how can we do even better is the number one to be self-aware and to be vulnerable in that relationship so that we grow together. Well, that's great, Tim. I, uh, uh, I know you're big into personal growth. I, I do want to share one thing along with what you're talking about, because it's something I always go back to, because it's, it's a struggle in life, you know, with that famous, um, you know, you give, and, but you're expecting something in return. And I always go back to that John Wooden quote, you can't leave, live a perfect day without doing something for someone else without expecting anything in return. Uh, so it, it's, but with your personal growth, I'm curious, what would you recommend to young leaders is maybe a couple books or, uh, audio programs or, uh, uh, you know, maybe a Ted talk you saw anything that you would recommend to help someone become a better leader to either read or look at. Yeah. So there's, there's certainly, uh, books, podcasts, and programs. And some of the great ones are, you talked about how I'm a certified John Maxwell coach. He, he's written do dozens and dozens of great leadership books. Number one, number two, uh, John Gordon, he's written, a, he has a, a positive leadership podcast. He wrote a book called the energy bus among, among many other books, uh, which are outstanding. Uh, Andy Andrews, who uh, wrote the book, The Noticer um, and The Traveler Returns, some of some also some great leadership books. I mentioned Alex Havard and Virtuous Leadership. He wrote another book called The, the Power of Magnanimity, uh, which, is, um, which is also outstanding. Steve Farber, uh, a mentor of mine, wrote a book called Love is Just Damn Good Business. And from that day forward, when I met Steve Farber, I started telling people I love them in the workplace. And uh, yeah, first the first day, uh, they called HR and they escorted me out of the building. Um, but after, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, what's really funny about the love in the workplace is um, the Greeks have like five, six, seven words for love, right? They have Eros love, which is the erotic love. When, when I tell you, I love you, that you, that's why you get all weirded out in the workplace. Right. But there's so many other types of love. There's filial love between a brother and a sister, right? There's um, there's agape love, which is unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't we want to have that from every person that we interact with? And that's actually what we are talking about when we give without expecting anything in return. So Steve Farber has this great concept of why do we not bring love back into the workplace? In the Greek culture, they can easily say that. They can talk about agape love or they can talk about um, the love, philia love between a brother and a sister because, or a cousins, right? Because they know exactly what that means. But because we only have one word in the English language, we don't know what that means. And so that's one of the other, you know, other aspects of what we can bring into the, um, into the workplace. So I think those are about five uh, leaders who have great podcasts, um, uh, great books and um, and, uh, and and also they also have some great online programs that would help in leadership. But secondly, uh, and probably most importantly, is to have three people in your life. And those could be any people that are great leaders. Number one, 
everybody needs a coach or somebody, a coach or a mentor of somebody that they can look up to, they can help coach them through things. Number one. Number two, everyone needs someone beside them, a peer that can help them work through things and on the same level. And number three, once we, once we put our oxygen mask on first and we have that coach and mentor above us, we need to find that person that we can coach and mentor. Mm -hmm. And that's really the circle of leadership. And as we uh, get into leadership and understand that we all need to find that maybe not, it's not just one, it could be multiple people, you know, who coach us, who we coach and who are beside us. And this is uh, such a powerful message of finding those right people in our circle. Uh, but there are so much noises also uh, around us. And when we start our, especially because we are talking about emerging leaders, when we start the journey, there are people from relatives, friends, peers who will have a lot of advices. So as, uh, as we start the path as an emerging leader, how do you make the decision of whose advice to take and who's not to take? Like, so, is, no, aren't there any criteria? <laughs> so number one, there's a great or coaching organization I'm involved with called McCaseyo Forums. And one of the mantras of McCaseyo Forums is we share experiences, not advice. Mm. Um, and when we share experiences, that puts the onus on the other person, the participant, to take those experiences in and realize how that can manifest out of them. Right. And so firstly, for myself, I try, I'm not a perfect non-advice giver, but I try not to give advice. I try to share experience number one and coach number two. And I'm sharing experience. I'm mentoring people when I'm coaching them, asking them those questions to help them bring out their version of success out of themselves. Because we're all, we all have a, a calling in life to something different. Mm -hmm. If I was just telling you what to do, I would say, you know what, start, start coaching football, um, get married and have six kids. And that's your version of a perfect life for you. But people laugh because they're like, oh, I can never want to have six kids. It's not what everybody's called to do. That was mine, but it's not the same for everybody. So unless I ask those questions, I'm not going to find out what the perfect uh, version of success is for you. So number one, from our perspective, it's ask. Number two, if you are receiving advice, take that into account and think about how does that fit into my personal, personal mission, vision, and values. And do you know what's really interesting about your mission and values is 95% of companies have a mission statement and have, have a value statement, like the number of values they have. But 95% of individuals do not have one. So mm -hmm. when I go speak to organizations, I ask them this, and it's almost always the same. 95% of organizations have it and 95% of individuals don't. I said, that's great. Can you tell me why your work and your workplace and your organization is much more important to you than your personal life? Right. And they all kind of laugh. They're like, no, no, that's not the case. Work's important to me, but not more important. I said, well, if it's important to have a vision and mission and values in your company, why is it not important to have that personally? So one of the first things I do with people I coach is we start working through that because, you know, Roy Disney said, when you have values it makes making, that's what you use when you need to make difficult decisions. So as it relates to people giving you advice, you look back to your mission and, and values. You're like, does this advice fit with my mission? Does this advice fit with my values? And if it does, I'll take those pieces. And if it doesn't, I'll put that off to the side and see if there's any other way that I can learn from it. I had a great business opportunity about five years ago, probably might've been really, um, might've been financially lucrative. And, but I was struggling with it. It didn't really feel right. And so I was working through this with my coach and he said, great, Tim. Um, when it says on your tombstone was the greatest executive in this industry for this company, how would you feel? I'm like, I, I wouldn't feel really good about that. And he said, okay, tell me, show me your values and mission and show me how this fits with your values and mission. And no part of the job fit with any part of my values and mission. They said, okay, well, do you want to change your values and mission? I said, no, what are you talking about? I don't want to change them. He goes, well, then why are you thinking about taking this job? <laughs> and, uh, and he's like yelling at me like that. And it was awesome because I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and this is someone who'd been coached for years. Um, so when you're really clear about your mission and know internally what you're called to do, that's when you can greatest, in, in the greatest way, take the input the other people give you. Mm, beautiful. Thanks. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Um, awesome insight. They're aligned. It's, it's simple, but it's something we don't often do is just align 
us with everything we do, our values, our mission with every, every other value that we, that we seek in life. And, and I know coach is big on that, the whole personal mission statement. That's the first thing you talk about in your presentation. And uh, I think that's awesome. Um, coach, do you have any final questions before we wrap up here for Tim? Well, Tim, uh, since you talked about personal mission, I'm, I'm curious, what, what is your personal mission? Uh, to love unconditionally by dreaming audaciously to grow purposefully. Beautiful. And that's hopefully both for myself and then sharing that with others. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, uh, but Tim, it was absolutely awesome. Uh, John's going to close up. I know he'll ask you about uh, what's the best way our listeners can uh, connect with you. Uh, but we really enjoyed, uh, it was very powerful and you, know, you stimulated a lot of thinking. Yeah, I, I definitely jotted down some nice notes. So uh, uh, thanks so much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. It was a, it was a great time today. Well, finally, Tim, uh, before you, before you go, can you just let us know exactly where to find you? I know you, you coach, um, you also are probably a big fan of your, of your liquor jacks too. So how can we get a a cup of that? And um, (laughs) what is the best way to find you? We, we might, we might need it today. Yeah. So uh, as it relates to Jack's beer, wine and spirits, uh, unfortunately, we only have stores in the province of British Columbia and Canada and in the Vancouver uh-huh. area. So if you're ever on the West Coast of Canada, come visit uh, one of our 13 stores. Number one. Number two, uh, how can you find me? I have a website called Service Leadership. It's spelled S-E-R-V-U-S, S-E-R-V-U-S leadership.com. Uh, service is the Latin word for servant. Um, so you can find me there. You can find me at, on LinkedIn at Tim Duma, D-U-M-A-S. Uh, on my website, you can find all my phone numbers, emails. Also, if you're connecting with this podcast, Coach Jim, uh, John, Dr. Kareem, please feel free to share my uh, personal phone number, email with, uh, with anybody who would like it. Very good. Thank Will do. So and much. get that full bio down in the uh, show notes and also um, how you can get in touch with, with Tim. Thank you so much for your time today, Tim. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week at the Limitless Leadership Lounge. To listen to this episode again and to find previous episodes, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker. You can also get in on the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Then tell three of your friends to join in as well. Coach, Renuma, and John will be back again next week for another tri-generational leadership discussion. We'll talk to you then on the Limitless Leadership Lounge. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.